The reading today is um, from Acts 10, uh, 23b um, to 48. Peter at Cornelius' house. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relations and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met with him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are all well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayers and remembered your gifts to the poor. Sent to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tana, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I know, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message of God, the message that God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord over all. You know that has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God announced Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who wait and drunk with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. 
the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay, them, stay with them for a few days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now let's pray for Ian. Father God, we pray for Ian. We thank you for his um, love for you, his dedication, and we thank you for his preparation for today. We pray that he will serve you with his words. We pray that you open our hearts and our ears to listen what he has to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you. It's always nice to be prayed for before you preach. I've been in churches where um, the whole congregation sometimes pray. Uh, you know, if it's going well, they say, preach it, brother, preach it. If they're struggling a bit, they start praying, help him, Lord, help him. <laughs> Fortunately, you're wearing masks, so uh, if you start saying that, I probably won't hear it. Anyway, are you partial to certain things? Do you have favorites? I've been trying to lose a bit of weight the last couple of months. You may or may not notice whether I've succeeded. If you want to say something encouraging to me at the end of the service, you can do that. Uh, but as I've been, actually, I've been following Steve's pattern. He's very inspiring. It's just been really helpful because Steve's lost weight through 16-8 fasting and Jane knows all about that. Probably been a bit of an imposition on you, isn't it? Anyway. Um, but as I've been trying to lose weight, I've become much more conscious of the things I'm partial to. As I go into our pantry and head to the fridge to pick up a really healthy, uh, I forgot what it's called, not kimchi, it's the other one. Uh, fermented yogurt drink, which is really good for you. I have to fight my way past a pile of crisps. And I realize I'm really, really partial to crisps. Especially those Tyrrell ones with the funny picture of the fireman on the front with a sweet chili. Do you know, anyone partial to those? One or two, yeah, okay. I'm really partial to chocolate. I don't just like chocolate. I love chocolate. I love, I love, I love uh, Galaxy chocolate. Uh, listen, if you, if you want to ask, get a favor out of me, if you want to persuade me to do something, a boxes of Thornton Continentals will guarantee you a result, okay? I'm really, really partial to those. As Val knows, I'm very partial to an afternoon cup of tea with a scone. Yeah, scone, not scone, no, scone. I knew you said scone last week. But no, it's definitely scone. And contrary to what Jonathan Etheridge will tell you, you've got to have the butter, then the jam, then the cream on top, because then you can pile it nice and high. I'm really partial to them. Are you partial to things? I bet you are. Here's the thing. Are you partial to people? Do you love everybody in your life equally and the same and treat them all the same? Or do you have favorites? 
I am partial to certain people. Now, I've got to be careful where I look here. <laughs> but, but, you know, I mean, there are some people you just kind of get along with, rub along with, that's fine. There are some people, you know, whose company you really search out, you know, you've got the same sense of humor, you've got the same interest, you know. If you're feeling stressed, they're the kind of people that you want to spend time with. I'm very partial to my wife, and I hope she's watching. She's in Guildford, actually, helping our daughter pack up her stuff, but she's still watching, so that's great. And she'll be pleased to hear that I am partial. There are certain people I love in a way that I don't love other people. I have my favorites. But this passage tells us something remarkable. You might have got a little sort of sense of deja vu as you read this passage because Cornelius tells the story of what's happened to him. Well, yes, we read about that in the earlier chapters. And Peter recounts what's happened to him. And yes, we've heard that in previous chapters. And Fran gave us a little recap. Pigs in blankets, Fran. Very good. By the way, now you're ordained priest. Do your jokes get better? I don't know. Sorry, that's maybe, not, maybe incidental. I thought that was quite a good one, actually. Uh, <laughs> um, but what's the central point of this passage? It comes as Peter responds to Cornelius in verse 34, and he says this, I have now come to understand that God shows no partiality. We have favorite foods, we have favorite places, we have favorite people. God does not have favorites. God is not like us. It is human. It is natural to like some things more than others, to like some people more than others. God is not human like us. Now, this is not only the central idea in this passage. I would, I've been thinking about this a lot in the last year or two. I would like to argue that this is the central idea in the whole of Scripture. Certainly prominent all the way through the New Testament. I don't know if you've noticed that. The idea that God is impartial. It's really central to the gospel message we find in the pages of the New Testament. If you turn to Paul's letter to the Romans, I know for some of you, some of you well, at least one of you, it's a favorite, but most of us find Romans a bit daunting. It's Paul's detailed doctrinal explanation of his gospel to the Christians in Rome. But the linchpin of it, the central point of Paul's argument is that God is, does not show partiality. He says that in chapter 2, and he unfolds that. In Galatians, he gets really cross with those who want to make the Gentiles look like the Jews because God is partial to the Jews. And Paul says, no, it's not true. God shows no partiality. The letter of James. I hear that when someone comes in with gold rings on their fingers, you treat them and put them in the front seats, which are currently vacant, so if anyone does come in with gold rings, do have a seat here. Those are the poor, you sit at the back. You are showing partiality. You cannot do that because God shows no partiality. Peter, in his letter, well, he said it here, he says it in his letter as well, he says, if you trust him who judges impartially, God is not partial. What about the Gospels? We heard in the video, for the kids, for all of us, for the childers, we heard an allusion there to the story of the woman with an issue of blood. And he's put my Bible down. Why, why does Mark 
in Mark chapter 5, why when he's telling that, why does he take the story of Jairus, the synagogue ruler whose daughter is ill and dies, why does he take that story and the story with the of the woman with the issue of blood, why does he interweave them and interlock them really carefully? Jesus is on his way to Jairus, he stops, he, meets, he hears the, feels the woman's touched him, he turns, he heals her, then she's healed, your woman, your faith has, has saved you, then he carries on in his journey. Why does Mark really carefully lock those stories together? Because he wants to show us that Jesus responds to a big, important, named man who's got lots of money and influence on the one hand, and an unnamed woman who's unclean, should not be touched, and has no money. She spent it all on, in those days, doctors were expensive. Not nowadays, fortunately. Well, some are. But these two people are the exact opposites, yet Jesus treats them the same. Jesus is impartial because God is impartial. Jesus teaches us, Matthew chapter 5, he says, God makes the sunshine and the rain to fall equally on the righteous and the unrighteous. The rain, it raineth on the just and on the unjust fella, but more so on the just because the unjust steals the just's umbrella. You see, it's, it's, it's us who make the world different for different people. It's, it's we who treat people differently, but God doesn't. God is impartial. He treats us the same, no matter how tall we are, how short we are, what color our skin is, what our background is, what our education, our class, where we come from, what language we speak. God shows no partiality. Can you imagine meeting a person who treats everyone they meet in exactly the same way, with the same attention, with the same courtesy, with the same care, and the same concern. Meet Jesus. That's what he does. Now, what does it mean to have partiality? What does it mean to not treat people with favoritism? Well, um, here, here Peter and Paul, and later in his letter, and James, they all use the same word. And the word is prosopolemptes. Did I get that right? Daniel, You're, you must be studying Greek, aren't you? You're, you're, yeah, okay, I got it right. Thank you. Prosopolemptes. Prosopon means face. Lemptes means to take. God does not take the face. What does that mean? Well, it's an image drawn from the idea of a king with his subjects lined up before him. So, just as Cornelius falls before Peter here, in respect, uh, in, in the ancient world, if someone was a king or somebody important, they had power, then people would bow down before them. And what the king would do is he would go along the line of those who were bowed down before him so he couldn't see their faces, but he'd recognize who his favorites were. So, he would go to the one who was his favorite and he would lift their face. He would, he would take the face so that this person of power and majesty could look the subject in the face and that that signified that the king's favor rested on that person. Actually, that's the idea behind what we often call the priestly blessing. Brand, you can do that now. The priestly blessing in Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. It's a prayer that God's favor 
will rest on somebody. It's a prayer that this person will be one of God's favorites. But of course, ironically, it's a prayer you can actually pray for everybody regardless. God is not partial. God shows no partiality. God shows no favoritism. God does not have favorites. But then, oh my, Peter messes up. He starts explaining to Cornelius what this is all about. And then he starts talking about Israel. Did you notice that? I now realized God does not show favorites. You know the message, verse 36, that God sent to the people of Israel. We're all going, Peter, Peter, no, no, don't, no, don't, don't mention that, don't mention that. God is the God of all, right? You just say Jesus is the Lord of all. Don't start going on about how Jesus is the Messiah of Israel, a particular people, like they're God's favorites. Don't mess up here. This is really important. But he's unashamed to talk about God's particular calling of Israel, God's particular calling of Jewish people. And I think that's really helpful. When I look around, it seems to me there there seems to be two contrasting attitudes people have to the Jews, to the Old Testament as well. One attitude is they don't matter at all. They do not matter. They no longer matter. I've had four people this week, four different people, say to me in different contexts on social media, we don't need to worry, worry with all that Old Testament stuff, all those rules and regulations. That's for the Jews. That's not for us. We've got the New Testament. The Jews don't matter. There's an opposite thing I find as well. People say the opposite. Some people say, oh, the Jews are still God's favorite. Jesus won't come back until the Jews have returned to the land and they've built a new temple and all this other sort of stuff and they have an end times chronology. Both of those are wrong. The second is wrong because God has no favorites. God is not partial. But the first is wrong because although God is not partial, God does choose particular people. He chooses particular people to carry forward his message. The reason is that people communicate with people. God uses people to reach people. Didn't you find it a bit odd and embarrassing when Peter goes on and says, uh, God, in verse 40, God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen, but he was not seen by everybody. When I read that, I found myself, why not? Boy, you know, it would have saved a lot of time and energy if Jesus had appeared to the whole world and that was it, you know? It would be not easy, wouldn't it? We wouldn't have this account. We wouldn't have this, all this discovery. We wouldn't have the history of the church. We wouldn't have the task we have of sharing. We could be, we just, you know, Jesus would have appeared to everybody, and that would be the end. It would be a lot easier, wouldn't it? Actually, God chose his particular people, Israel, and God chooses particular people to be witnesses to him. We're not all evangelists, but we are all witnesses, just as Peter said. God chose Israel not because... They were his favorites, not because he's, he's partial, but because he entrusted them with a message to the whole world. And actually, that's, you see that threaded through the whole Old Testament history. It's not just the Jews. You know, when they go into the land, the spies go into the land, they meet Rahab the prostitute. She becomes part, she inherits the promise. Uh, Ruth the Moabite, in the book of Ruth. The Moabites are God's, uh, Israel's historical enemy. And yet, she becomes the great, is it great-grandmother of David? Is that right? Great-grandmother? I think so. 
She becomes incorporated into that line. What about, what about Cyrus the Persian? The Iranian ruler becomes an integral part of God's redemption of his people. He chooses particular people to share his message with the world. Um, a couple of years ago, I was in Israel again. I'd lived in Israel in my gap year and been on a couple of trips. And a couple of years ago, I went on another trip. And we were privileged to meet all sorts of people as we traveled around. And we met um, uh, a group of Jews who had returned to the land. They believe in, in fulfillment of the promises of the Bible. And uh, it was really interesting to have an open question and answer uh, session with one of their leaders. And I asked a slightly embarrassing question. I said to him, well, he was being open and honest. So I said, okay. How do you feel about the fact that Christians have basically stolen your Old Testament or something like that? I'd probably, I'd probably put it in much more theological terms. But his answer was fascinating, and it wasn't at all what I expected. He said, actually, you know, I'm grateful that you have taken the treasure entrusted to us by God, the Ten Commandments, and you've taken it to the whole world. Isn't that interesting? If I'd thought, I might have said to him, do you know, I think that was what God wanted you to do in the first place. But I, that probably wouldn't have been very tactful. But how about that? God is not partial, but he is particular. So Jesus had particular friends who were close to him. People had the 12 he chose as particular people to pass the message on. And if you've heard that call of God, you are particular people whom God has placed in a particular context, in particular relationships, so that you can be a witness and pass the message on to those around you as well. So what's the message? What's the message we have? And again, Peter helps us here. He gives us a wonderful speech, kind of summarizing the gospel message. And there's something that might surprise you that's missing. Nowhere does Peter say, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Isn't that interesting? In fact, all through the book of Acts, there's a, whole, there's a series from Pentecost right through Peter's ministry, and then the second half all through Paul's ministry. Luke gives us summaries of the message that Peter and Paul preach. And you kind of think, he's giving us that. I think, Daniel, you said this. He's giving us that to help us to know how we can continue this work of sharing God's message with those around us. Of all those speeches... Not a single one says, God is love. I wonder why. I wonder why. I, I, I suspect it's because in Peter's day, as in our day, love is a plastic word. It can mean all sorts of things. It's easily misunderstood. I love chocolate. I love my wife. I love England winning 4-0 at football. Don't you? Makes a change. I, and of course we use it to mean sex. Making love means having sex with somebody. Sex, marriage, chocolate, football. These are all different things. The word love means all sorts of different things in different contexts. If somebody says to you, love is love, you need to go into Christmas pantomime mode and say, oh no it isn't. Because it means all sorts of different things. But Peter is very clear what the message is. And he says two things. First of all, in his introduction he says, you know the message of peace that was given to Israel. The message of peace. Peace, Paul says in Ephesians 2, peace with God, peace with one another. 
We live in a disturbed and fractured world where people feel alienated from God. They might, they might think there's a God or something there, but, but they, don't, they can't connect with God. And the message is, God has turned us from enemies to friends. We can have peace with God. And as God draws us to himself, he draws us to one another. And secondly, verse 39, power. God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power, so he healed the sick and he set people free from the bondage that they were in. I get a feeling that many people in our culture feel bound and constrained, whether it's things inside them or things outside, whether it's other people's expectations, and they long for power to know the forgiveness of God and to break free of the things that constrain them. God's invitation to all isn't just a reason to say, well, you know, anything goes, come just as you are. Yes, we come as we are, but we don't stay as we are. Peter says right at the very beginning, verse 34, I know that God is not partial, but he will honor all those who fear him and do what is right. To receive God's grace, you don't need to become like somebody else. You don't need to look like somebody else. You don't need to change your culture or your color or your background. I don't need to become like Fran. Hope that's okay. I don't need to become like Gareth. I don't need to become like Steve. I can come as Ian, but I'm not going to stay the Ian that I was. Someone once said, I'm not all that I ought to be. I'm not all that I will be, but praise the Lord. I'm not what I used to be. God's impartial invitation to all of us is, come. Come, receive the peace of forgiveness, which is ours in Jesus. Come, receive the power to grow into the holiness that God longs for us through the gift of his spirit. It's a message he's entrusted to particular people that we might take this out impartially to all. Shall we pray? And we read that as Peter was speaking, he hadn't even reached his conclusion. <laughs> as Peter was speaking, God poured his Holy Spirit on those who were listening. Father, for those of us here in the building, for those watching online, will you pour your spirit on us? Father, your grace comes to us impartially, to, to all. Will you give us your peace? Will you give us your power by your spirit? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.